0: I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I- and tame and tame again Leon
1: Dublin's touch of CoCom's class some safe predictions for Gary Neville on Dragon's Den cricketing dreamland politically charged playground football games the quiet dignity of a club branded office mug goalkeepers being sent the wrong way when they technically haven't been the ceremonial handover of a star player between two fan bases and a deep analysis of the lure of a background pub TV game that you didn't think you cared about brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts this is football cliches and you your Mesut Harlan Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and this is the listeners' Meza Harlan Dicks for October. Joining me to run through your footballing loves and hates, first of all, Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from our beloved listeners. It's been so long since we heard from them. Uh, alongside
2: you... To go through them is David Walker. How are things? Yeah, things are good. Can't believe we're back here doing another one again already.
1: I know, yeah. It's the Monday, it's the Monday Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday grind that they talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. We're back in, back in Europe this year. Before we get into our joy of six from our listeners, let's, let's hit the adjudication panel for a little brief session. I was watching England versus Italy at Wembley. Um, great night for English football, uh, but a particular touch of class. To Dion Dublin's slightly partisan analysis of Jude Bellingham's contribution to Marcus Rashford's goal.
2: You watch his flash of white, there he goes, Marcus Rashford in on his right, but he knows he wants to do that. Football intelligence from Jude Bellingham, An execution
3: was outstanding from Marcus Rashford. Well done, gents.
1: Do, do you think there's another co-commentator out there, Charlie, who could pull off a well-done gents?
3: Could a McCoyst?
2: Yeah, McCoist is probably capable, probably has done similar. Is 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 Dion doubling the English Ali McCoyst? I suppose he sort of is, really.
1: I think he has a lot of ingredients. He has a he has mm. an established TV personality. He's got sort of boundless natural enthusiasm, but that's married with an appreciation of the game. It isn't just wild kind of you know just going off on one.
3: Um, and a hinterland as well. They yeah. both have interests outside of football. You know, we we sort of we see them as rounded individuals.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you could put Ali McCoys on Holmes under the hammer; he'd be, be he'd be fine. Charlie, it's it's just a slightly unusual, subtly unusual
1: co-commentary device of addressing the players directly. You get it every now and then, but I really just like the way that he sort of spoke to the players themselves, as if he was still one of them. I I quite like that. From a-
3: yeah, it's an apostrophe. It's called that rhetorical device where you sort of address someone head on. Not, I mean, often that's. Come, someone who's absent. Obviously, in this place, they in this instance, they're there. But you think of like Andy Gray. You know, he'd do take a bow, son, yes, and all of that. Of course, yeah, he was actually, sort of the 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 Godfather of football commentary apostrophe.
1: Actually, now you say it, Dave. It was very Andy Grayy. You
2: can imagine Andy Gray back in 97 saying, Oh, well done, gents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But 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 done in a slightly less emphatic way, which I liked. So when I when I heard this live, when I was watching it, I I just thought to myself. How great would it be to get a well done from Deion Dublin? I'd love that. Hmm. Yeah,
3: you yeah, would, would be so proud. <laughs>
1: he knows good workmanship when he sees it as well, which is the the main thing.
3: <laughs> I can imagine as well if Dion Dublin was playing in a, you know, one of those charity games with amateurs like us, I think he would be really encouraging and at the end of the game say well done gents, even if we'd just been beaten 5-0 or something.
1: Yeah, he'd definitely be the right sort of ex-pro to play with. I completely agree. Uh, right, next up, um, this game from Oli Uh We love a bit of um, elegant footballing variation in our news articles on this podcast. This is a Talk Sport article about uh, the anniversary of the infamous Sunderland Beach Ball incident and it's um, a little sort of retrospective. Uh, Rules dictate that the goal should not have stood but with no VAR referee Mike Jones awarded the goal later admitting he thought the ball had deflected in off a Liverpool player. The famous Sphere is now owned by a Sunderland fan, but is kept at the fans museum Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> the famous sphere. I I think if you ever go for sphere for a football, I think you're into wild territory, Charlie. Yeah. Also, could it be infamous sphere? Is it is the beach ball more infamous than it is famous?
3: I suppose it is because it caused yeah, it caused controversy. Of think, yeah. Yeah, I kinda think so. <laughs> Um, I mean, either, but yes. Well, I mean, obviously, the, the key thing is sphere here. Once you're going with that, uh, yeah, that that is that is superb. When I first was reading the sentence,
2: before I got to the bit where I said about the museum, if it's in a museum, it must be. I assume it's just in a cabinet. Is it in a cabinet? Is it but, still inflated? You know, that's what that's what I was wondering. Is it inflated? I thought it might just be in someone's house. If a fan's got it, it could just be deflated and in like a shoebox in a cupboard somewhere. I mean, unlike Did an lose, actual, would it lose its air though over time? Did they have to keep. No
1: question. Get back up again. They're badly made. At the best of times, a beach ball. But the thing is, Charlie, if you were keeping like a famous ball, you probably would keep it inflated just for, you know, presentation purposes. But a beach ball, keeping that inflated, just feels feels odd. I don't know. But maybe I, given it. I
3: still think you would. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you want it to look as much like it did. <laughs> well, on, people won't recognise
1: it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Next up, something to look forward to for the new year. It's been announced that Gary Neville is joining Dragons Den. Dave. What do you think the over under
2: is on at this moment in time for him on Dragon's Den because <laughs> it it could work so perfectly. Well, it would work perfectly, wouldn't it? Because you can picture him saying it actually before the recording I, I did try I was trying to perfect my Gary Neville impression and it, I just I can't do it. So I'm not going to do it. But um you can see him saying I'm not going to you know I'd love to invest in you but I'm, uh, I can't at this moment in time you're not ready. Come yeah. back to me. He's struggling. Mm. He's struggling. Yeah. Do you think a particularly bad
1: pitch? Charlie, if it's really going south, do you think he would go? Oh, oh.
3: I d- oh, I do think he might. You know, sometimes on Dragons Den, they'll one of them will make a bit of a gaff, and they'll sort of address the wrong person, or they might slightly offend someone. So they might, you know, they might not realise that Tuca has an expertise in whatever it is. Be like, oh, as he kind of realises, this is going to cost you.
1: Yeah, I I, I suspect though. His role in this, Dave, will be to be the the dour, dry, kind of straight man, kind of a bit like Peter Jones. I think he's going to have that kind of role in this. I don't think he's going to be kind of an
2: effervescent character that eggs people on, particularly. I'm not sure. I mean, Neville is increasingly open to of isn't he really if you look at like the overlap and stick to football and everything that he's doing he doesn't have Carragher doesn't have the foil of Carragher or Richards or anyone or Roy Keane to go against him but I can see him and Deborah Meaden having a bit of a,
3: you know, a bit of back and forth maybe yeah yeah what have you won Stephen Bartlett <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I bet there will be bantz between him and Bartlett about like who's top of the podcast charts and that sort of thing like you know like you know, I used to like this guy until he, he was always beating me with his podcast sort of thing and that slightly passive-aggressive way that he does that he well, he we'll, is a bit annoyed about it.
1: We'll almost certainly be digging into that. In yeah, that the, is yeah. good,
3: actually, Charlie. He does do that, doesn't he? When he, when he just sort oh, of... Always. <laughs> goes all, goes all tight he goes like,
2: speaks <laughs> quickly. Yeah. And
3: <laughs> when, when, he's, when he's called out, he'll be like, oh, you've been saying that all through to me? Like, sort of, <laughs> like, in that way people do when they are really annoyed but want to sort of pretend they're joking about it.
1: Right, next up there, uh, over to the world of cricket now. I really enjoyed this. It came out of the blue for me. I never thought he was a thing in cricket, Charlie. But um, as the Dutch... Took on South Africa in the group stage of the Cricket World Cup and had the South Africans at 44 for four at one point. Sky Sports Cricket tweeted that the Dutch are in dreamland. Now, I, instinctively, I was forced to kind of question this. I thought, you know, you can't just you can't just. I didn't. It didn't feel like a particularly cricketing thing. And then when I analysed the numbers, I looked at it and thought, actually, this all works. 44 for four is very dreamlandy. It's basically the equivalent of an unfancy team being two nil up against.
3: One of the big guns is perfect. The Dreamland Cricket one, I think, is that Stuart Broad... I think it was the 2013 Ashes. And there's that picture of him... Or maybe it was 2015, where he's got that, you know, ridiculous face... Pulled after another wicket, I'm sure Dreamland would have been used in that instance.
1: But that is that too smug for Dreamland? Because Dreamland is a is a state of awe and like, how did we get here? I can't believe it. There shouldn't, you shouldn't be satisfied with yourself in Dreamland, should you? But I think it wasn't just like
3: a, this is going so oh. well, everything's going for us. One of those kind of days. Okay,
1: um, Dave. I in my analysis of the, a few people chimed in with their uh, take on it. Ross FJ says it's too early. Cricket is a is the most ebb and flow game, it's not like football. But I, I replied saying But even in football, Dreamland is a provisional state. It doesn't sum up the game, it yeah. sums up that point in the game and everything could go south, but you don't you don't speculate that it will. But at that point it is Dreamland and that works for cricket.
2: Yeah, the earlier the better
3: for Dreamland. You don't- That's a good point, actually. How many dreamlands have <laughs> turned what's the, sour? What's the latest dreamland we have ever had? You can't, you can't be in dreamland
1: beyond half time because you could declare it at half time. But when they when when go back to the studio and punt it and say, "Well, they're in dreamland here," but you, oh, I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe you could score a second
2: goal against a big gun on the hour mark and still be, still be in dreamland. But what but if you- a small team in the FA Cup, you know, a, a non-league team is against a Premier League team and they score? They've a goal to go in one nil up, say. Or, you know, they, they take the lead in the 80th minute. You could, you could imagine a commentator saying, and Barnett are in FA Cup dreamland here.
3: Especially because in that instance, already the, the drawing would be a great result. To then be winning, you're sort of taking it into the round. Like, it was already amazing. And now look at them
1: i just i wouldn't accept that as dreamland because that's quite a definitive situation they're basically they've basically won the game so there is no there's no space and room to dream in it's a different it's a different kettle of fish there could be in
3: raptures but, but they're not more, they're in it, dreamland but isn't dreamland isn't dreamland more just this would have felt like a dream going into the this situation would have felt like a dream and so being 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go this would have been like everything they were dreaming about. You know, nil-nil is like, yeah, we could just about grasp that. But now we've sort of transcended this realm and are now in dreamland.
2: Isn't, isn't it true that you actually dream more often just before you wake up than when just after you go to sleep, though, isn't it? So that sort of works.
3: Well, it's the, R, it's the R.E.M.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> State. Too deep, too deep. Back to cricket, though. Uh, Malcolm Alistair said, um, I'd class um, England being 517 for one against Australia in the Ashes in 2010-11. As Dreamland, although he thinks it is much rarer for a batting team, and I, it it can't work for a batting team, Charlie, because no matter what the margin, and that was
2: is very extreme. Were they in Dreamland at five hundred sixteen for one?
1: Exactly. What's the trigger point for being in Dreamland when you're a yeah. batting side?
3: And um, you don't have that too trigger gradual, moment. Too gradual a process. Yeah,
2: hundred
1: percent. I mean, you, you could you could make it like an arbitrary situation, like passing the five hundred mark. But again, there's no there's no rush of emotion, yes. is there? At five hundred, so uh, yeah, I'm not having it. It's, it's wickets and it's goals any other sports that could have a dreamland situation
2: rugby
3: yeah rugby you definitely could because, especially as you can rack up a pretty high score very quickly I don't think in tennis I mean if you went like can you give me two sets up against like Nadal yeah. and be in dreamland you could but, the thing, but again with it it's a gradual you can't do it like that quickly it would have taken quite a Process to get there, and it would have seemed on the cards for a while that you were going to win that set. Maybe not. I mean, you might. It, it doesn't sound right.
1: It's good that it's got, a
3: rare got, thing. Yeah, it should be rare. Yeah, golf, golf ride a Cup could be. Yeah, I can't imagine that after a blistering start. That oh, Europe I can. Dream I made. can
1: see that. I can definitely see that. Right. Um. Last thing for the adjudication panel today. I had the privilege of uh, editing Sam Lee's article for the Athletic, where he was running through a, an analysis of the Manchester City squad and their roles under Pep Guardiola. And this was his entry on Jack Grealish. Uh, Dave, Sam writes, given his transformation as a player, from free-spirited dribbler to tempo-regulating tacticsman, his value to the team is often overlooked. I really like the idea of tacticsman as a modern concept. Like a player who, who almost regardless of their primary role, has also been corralled into the greater game plan, and and mm-hmm. it has had their kind of wings clipped a little bit, maybe willingly. Tacticsman is good, although it probably works better for like like a, a sort of a willing
2: utility player, doesn't it, Dave? But I think it's obviously the point he's making is that you know he's transitioning from one thing to another, and thus that sort of emphasises it even more. I, I saw I saw a clip of Grealish talking about this the other day. I think on. Uh, on some sort of football tactics pod or or something. And, um, you know, yeah, he was talking about that very specific thing about how he basically, Dean Smith used to be able to, you literally used to tell him, do what you like you go on the pitch and do what you want. Well, now his pet screams at him if he's not in exactly the right place, he's embraced it himself, hasn't he? So it's kind of, he's not railing against it. He's not, I think he's comfortable
3: with it and he's sort of, that's kind of almost become his defining quality now. I mean, there. Are, you think of someone like Mason Mount. I think he's a real tacticsman. Someone who is loved by all his coaches because he's so tactically aware and cute and all of that. Whereas most fans, I'm like, what's he doing? But he he's pure tacticsman now.
1: I think any midfielder now who there's a debate about whether they're a 6 or an 8 or a 10, if there's any debate about what their midfield role is, they're basically a tacticsman. Because um they are being essentially shoehorned into a system and and made to do the job. But the emphasis here is very important, Charlie. It's definitely tactics moon Because if it was tactics man, then that would be like the, the manager who comes up with the tactics, and that's <laughs> yeah. completely different.
3: Yeah, yeah. The tactics man is is a is a totally
1: different thing. Right then. Adjudication panel completed. It's time for our very first listeners, at Harlan Dicks of the New Era. The listeners, Mesut Dicks for October. So Mesut Dicks, I want to be quite transparent about this now. It is simply a play on Desert Island Discs, which I regret somewhat from three years ago. I didn't think this podcast would survive and flourish like it has, but it is. And I refuse to change it. So it's that's what it is. And um, either the listeners or one of our star guests will come in and choose three things that fascinate them about football. And three things that irritate them. And we want them to be as niche and obscure and personal and pathological as possible. We don't want diving. We don't want VAR. And uh, hopefully this these next six things will showcase what Mez at Harland Dicks is all about. Let's start with fascinations then. And the first one comes from Rob.
0: Something I wanted to mention was that uh, as a school teacher, it's interesting to hear the change in vernacular between what we said on the playground versus what kids say these days. Um, I can't remember if you've mentioned this before, but a phenomenon that kids like to say now is whenever there's a particularly crunching challenge or a bit of a uh, kind of bitty play, uh, the kids will now shout Brexit, as in Brexit ball or that's so Brexit. Um, I was intrigued onto your thoughts as to this and whether we could use any other charged political referenda from throughout history to describe brands of football. Good luck with the show. Cheers.
1: As soon as I heard the term Brexit ball, Charlie, I instantly had a a vision in my head of what that passage of play might be like to trigger it. Beyond anything, you know, beyond the political um, connotations here, it's interesting to see that we're seeing like a a kind of age of enlightenment in British playgrounds in a football sense. They want to see the they want to see people get the ball down and play, do they?
3: Yeah, I mean, how old are these kids? I'm, I'm very impressed. I mean, especially I remember at school, my one of my football coaches saying the words, "I don't want to see any more of this powder puff crap at us." So just kind of, you know, we probably would have accused him of being Brexity nowadays. Mm. But th- this is great, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> to the point about other referendum. I mean, probably don't want to go down that road too much. Probably some quite delicate examples there. But- <laughs> Brexit ball, yeah, amazing.
1: Do we think, Dave, that this could become the official antithesis of tippy-tappy football?
2: Like, is, <laughs> is that going to be the thing that people now come back with? It would be interesting to see if, if anyone at any point decides to own it and mm. proudly espouses Brexit ball, claims it. The thing is, this is the curious thing. I mean, there was there was one point sort of
1: late 2000s where direct football, so the sort of football I would speculate that Stoke were playing especially against Arsenal that sort of thing was derided as against the grain and and against what everyone was striving to do generally but I I sense now that direct football isn't as frowned upon I think there's a slight shift in the sense that it's kind of accepted because you have to find another way and yes
3: but uh, yeah I think only in small doses though I mean that said I think there would be a lot of appetite for a long ball team in the Premier League now just because everyone's veered so far away from it that from a variety perspective, I mean, I think Pochettino was talking about this recently. That everyone's playing in a very similar way. I do also love the idea of Brexit ball becoming so ubiquitous that the way pundits will be like, you know, sometimes you do just have to be a bit more direct. If it was sometimes you've just got to play. A bit sometimes of you ball. do, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't care if you're Mikel Arteta or whoever. Got to do a bit of Brexit ball from time to time.
1: I have to say, I cannot see the phrase itself embedding itself in the mainstream. I think it's, I think it's a little bit too uh, retrograde step. For a football discourse, but it does tap into Charlie the widespread phenomenon of, um, of x ball as, as a thing a usually yeah. manager ball now I, I did a big study on this recently, <laughs> and um, notwithstanding a few managerial changes up and down the divisions in recent weeks, there was a point earlier in the season where ninety two point four percent of all managers of the ninety two league clubs had had a manager ball dubbing. Of their mm. style of play, either witheringly or ironically or sincerely, which is astonishing sort of showcase for the phenomenon and how it's grown.
3: Yeah, and the thing is, and I, I want to check with you guys, I, you mentioned the twenty-eight thousand words or whatever I've written on Postacoglu. I don't think I've used Angeball. Right? Someone may well correct me on that. Partly because I'm a bit freaked out by do you hyphen, do you capitalise the B, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but partly, I just think it has become a bit naff. Is that fair? Or, but there, because there are times when I've thought I could actually use it here, it would be quite useful. But I've sort of tried not to. Just You're right. To. Everyone uses it.
1: You're right too. Because Dave, I think it's become watered down. Like it's lost all meaning, hasn't it? Completely.
2: And what does Ange Postecoglou do that, that that marks out that particular type of play more than? Oh, glad Charlie <laughs> said... <laughs> right, sell in. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> But like when it first became a thing, it was a little bit the the purveyors of of uh, I don't know Sari ball or whatever was a little bit more unusual. Now like the degrees of difference between Ange ball and whatever you know the next the next ball on the on the conveyor belt are not that great
3: anymore. I definitely agree with that. Ball used to, you're right. Sari ball was for me. I think I when that sport was the first ball that I remember because it was so different. Yeah, the first now proper it has. Ball. Now it has, just, and I would say actually Angeball is quite different, but it has just become a shorthand just for any manager's way of playing, basically, mm, Yeah. rather than it being a whole different ball game.
1: And also, it, it can just herald a, a change of style from one manager to another, regardless yes. whether that style is conspicuous. But my favourite ball of all, I discovered, was down in League Two. Earlier this season, Morecambe had conjured up an XG of 1.95 from just 37% possession in a game. And uh, their fans were delightfully... Dubbing Derek Adams's style of play as Derek Ball, <laughs> which I think I think is the end of this. Like that, that is the end result. We we can't go any further than that. It's hit peak of its phenomenon, I think so. Um, but yeah, Brexit Ball can't see it catching on. But thanks, Rob. Anyway, the playgrounds. What a weird place there to to be these days. Next up, the next fascination of football comes from
3: Dom Eddy. Hi guys, this is a fascination and an irritation for me, but mostly an irritation. And it's the alternative names for skills in football. My old coach used to call the step over the lollipop or the scissors. And I just think it makes the skill sound childish and actually less skillful than it actually is. Another example that I've seen um, is the flip-flap, which, I mean, I prefer Elastico to begin with, but apparently is also known as the old slippery Jessup. I can't imagine these names ever being used by commentators or anyone else really. Um... (laughs)
1: I don't know where to start with this. Um, How comfortable, Charlie, are you generally, whether in your writing or in your personal use, Sunday League team or whatever, using these fancy names for skills? Uh, Let's start with Elastico, which which Domedi thought was the most acceptable for that kind of flip-flap movement. Mm -hmm. I don't like flip-flap. I can't see myself using Elastico, but then obviously there's no name for it. So I don't know what I would go with. The Ronaldinho.
3: Yeah, I mean that is what I think the Ronaldinho. I think I did use called it the flip flap rather than the elastico. It is a tricky one. I mean, we've, spoke, we've spoken before, as haven't we, about the roulette? What is it, the Maradona roulette or yeah, the yeah roulette? That's the, the ultimate hornet. dilemma.
1: I do agree with Domedi, Dave, that uh, using the word lollipop for a step over is actually quite vomitous. What's the thinking there? Is it, is it sort of you're, you're you're offering them a lollipop, but actually uh, you're teasing the... them one way but going the other. Is it not, you you make like a
3: circle movement with your foot? <laughs> My theory is definitely all, better. A lollipop? <laughs> I mean, we should just call it what Alan Smith calls it. Alan Smith calls it the foot over. He foot which is so rudimentary. He's what so stuck on foot over, it's unbelievable. Yeah, he loves foot over. What, so what
2: would Alan Smith
3: call the, the
2: elastico or the flip flap? What would he call it?
1: He'd, he'd call it the insole waft or something, wouldn't he? <laughs> Just a little waft of the insole there. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. Quite well. In amongst all that, a fascinating revelation, Charlie, that on the Wikipedia page for flip-flap, and flip-flap is indeed the primary term that the Wikipedia page goes for, it says that the flip-flap is also known as the elástico, as we already know, uh, the akka, the snake bite, la culabrita, Or the old slippery Jessup. What the hell is that? That has to be vandalism. That can... Because there are two reasons for that. One, it's absurd and it sounds like something someone would jokingly put into a Wikipedia article. And two... It sounds too old, like it sounds like something from the
3: 50s, and there's no way the flip-flap existed in English football in the 50s. But yeah, Dom Eddy referenced that, didn't he? I mean, has he also got that from Wikipedia, or is that independently It would seem so, sourced? yes. But okay, generally, Charlie, I feel more comfortable.
1: This isn't just me being a bit unenlightened and not willing to embrace... South American footballing culture, but I'm—I think I'm more comfortable with applying skills to certain players and saying they were the definitive ones who showcased it once, and therefore I'm attributing it to them. So, take for example the Maradona, the Cruyff, things like that. They—they they give it a, a, a elevated mythic sort of mythical status, but so. I it doesn't need a silly name. It doesn't need something that sort of hints to uh, the movement of it. Just give it a player. Yeah.
3: It, yeah, it's easier to say as well than write down, I think. You know, like that Akotcha skill, I think. I think you kind of know what I mean when I say that. But I don't know how you would describe that. The one where he sort of
2: flicks it over his head. The
3: rainbow flick. Oh! Yeah, the one he did on Ray Parler. Is that, is that what's called? Rainbow flick? Yeah, the rainbow flick. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think of that as the Akotcha skill.
1: Okay, Dave. Uh, well, okay this may be our task then to attribute some modern skills to certain players what about the chop which I'm kind of okay with chopping but who's who's the modern primary exponent of the chop chopping the ball inside with the sort of back of the inside of your foot inside the defender
3: yeah I know the when you I mean that, yeah. that's the Cristiano Ronaldo thing isn't it, it is that's a what chop. I think of. yeah it is Ronaldo isn't it the chop Drogba did it a couple of times loved to
2: chop at Watford we had uh... oh yeah we had the the, 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 Igar- the scoop. Oh yes! Oh yeah! For a very brief period of time, he was foxing defenders with the <laughs> scoop, and he where you just sort of drag it. You know, he just kind of drag it from one side to the other.
3: Oh, do you know what there was as well? Like that, another chop was the Erzl chop, where he would kick it into the ground and it would bounce over goalkeepers. Is that a chop?
1: It's not a chop, is it? It was called a chop. Oh, right. I suppose you know, so yeah, it it makes more sense because it's a downward movement. You're chopping the ball into the ground. Needs a better name, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Bounce shot. Yeah. I want to keep a relatively open mind about this. I mean, there, there are no kind of old fashioned standpoints for this, but I think we should be careful not to give too silly a name to skills, and lollipop certainly is the silliest of all. Right. Our third fascination. For this month's Listener's Mes at Holland Dicks comes from Freddie. We can have a lot of fun with this.
3: My niche football fascination is people bringing football into their workplace, uh, but in the subtlest of ways. So, for example, in my first year of uni, my supervisor had their Gmail profile picture set to Brennan Johnson. Uh, which led to an incredibly productive supervisor meeting spent discussing the club's justified faith in steve cooper the beautiful thing about this is that it's a decision a deliberate signal about which team he supports broadcasted through none other than an official university email address john you're a legend please come back from research leave all the best
1: now i'm so glad that freddie has raised this charlie because obviously you know we've talked a lot about um footballing small talk in office environments and which is where the for my sins discourse was born and but when we're talking about more visual stimuli about who you person might support i think freddie has picked a very good example here which is it's a Mm -hmm. it's a very low-key way of stamping your footballing identity without having to really impress it upon people but uh, I've never been a fan of of using other people in my profile pictures. But, uh, you know, if you love Forrest that much, maybe Brendan Johnson was the option at that time.
3: That's such a good example. I've seen people just use the badge on a on their Gmail account as well. And also, I think you can't enlarge the picture. Right. So it's very, it is very subtle. You know, there are some people who might not even know what badge it is if they don't follow football or whatever. So it's kind of like, if you know what this is you'll know and appreciate it. If not, you'll probably just ignore it.
1: Well, so, well that's, a, that's a practical dilemma then. Now, like, if you use a badge, that's fine, Dave, on your, on your Gmail profile photo. But if you use a player mid-action, it'll just look like you're a semi-pro footballer or something. People will <laughs> just think you are a footballer if they can't figure out who it is. Um, it got me thinking, Dave, of some other kind of subtle ways of just announcing who your team is. And maybe a more evergreen way of doing it is the mug, like having yeah. a having a designated mug on your desk or in the in the cupboard, and a club mug, I think it, I think is the ultimate way because you might get the old person going. Oh, oh, they did all right the weekend, not bad. You a lot, but I think it's I think it's a dignified way. Is <laughs> my point here? It's a dignified way of of planting your flag.
2: To employ Gary Weaverism, I know. I actually, support United, mate. This was just the first one in the cupboard.
1: Well, I mean, that's a whole different thing, Charlie. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you hear wild stories about uh, old fans who won't use brands that mm. sponsor their rival teams. That must be. This must be it in microcosms. Like, oh, if it, it does feel weird. It does genuinely feel weird to drink tea out of a mug. That it is emblazoned with the crest of a team you don't support, whether you hate them or not, it just feels wrong. It does
2: feel wrong. I had this the other day, a very personal example. I mean, this is, this is, I, just, I don't know why I felt weird about this, but I did. So I don't drink tea or coffee. I just don't, never have. One what of a those revelation we, one this is after two hundred and sixty-four wow. yeah, yeah, episodes, yeah, right? Yeah. So I never go make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in the kitchen. But I was feeling a bit under the weather, and I had I made myself a LEM sip, right? And so. The only mug that was available in the cupboard was one with my girlfriend's name on it. And I don't know, I just felt a bit I just felt a bit weird. So what an ego she's got by the way.
3: <laughs> oh, what's her your badge name? on it? A <laughs> crest.
1: I suppose it's yeah, it's a similar uh, similar sensation, I guess. Yeah, go on, Charlie.
3: No, also, I mean with the with that um like you can imagine that you know scope for good workplace light-hearted banter um, of giving you know who's doing the tea round. Then you come back with you know the Liverpool mug yep. for the Everton fan. Oh,
1: don't give me that one. Don't give it. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so it tastes, take this. Tastes
2: awful. That sort of um, <laughs> Newcastle fans refusing to drink out of the giant Sports Direct mug, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: which we, as we know, are absolutely ubiquitous. Which um, on the on that note. The Sports Direct mug, um, infamously um, voluminous, of course. Um, never do a sip out of a Sports Direct mug. It's just too dilute. So many yeah. people must make this mistake because they think, oh, it's more, it will help me out. Yes, nothing worse than the last few gulps of a Lemsip.
3: Got a couple of other ones as well. So on this, I remember yep. a guy with cufflinks with his club's badge. Very, su- again, like
1: quite
2: subtle. It's a bit, Mason. it's a bit too Masons for me. You're wearing cufflinks in the office or is this like a wedding, a formal Occasion. No, no, this is in the office, yeah. Cufflinks in the office. Yeah. So you did work for The Telegraph, didn't you? So, so.
3: <laughs> <laughs> This is also from The Telegraph. One of our old colleagues, Adam, uh, ha- who's a lovely bloke, had an Everton wallet, which I just absolutely loved. Because that's, that's like, a like a sort of one? eight-year-old boy's thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it was so charming. And I remember like, going to get something. And he was like, oh, um, oh, let, let me give you the money for it. And I got out his, his uh, Everton wallet. I just thought that is so sweet.
1: Uh, Well, I I have so many questions on the back of this theme. But Dave, what is the maximum age that you're allowed to have like a brightly coloured,
2: like nylon club wallet? I think you're pushing it if you're getting in... Even
3: in the late teens, you're pushing it. <laughs> yeah. Daily. Definitely you're pushing it late <laughs> teens. I think yeah. by the time you're in secondary school, you're probably yeah. thinking, maybe it's time to move on. Oh, it's yeah.
1: so secondary school, isn't it? Such, a, such an absolutely staple part of the secondary school armoury
3: is having I think it's pri- I think it's more a a primary, primary school. Like wallet. Kind of f- your first wallet. <laughs> you don't need a wallet done. in primary school. What are you buying? <laughs> no, you get your first one with a bit of pocket money.
1: Yeah, yeah. A little zip for the coins. Yeah, fair enough.
3: Right, final
1: question on this this wonderful um, rabbit hole. Um, Dave, I'll come to you first. What is the most back-of-the-office cupboard mug club? I, I, feel, I feel like an
2: Ipswich. Yeah, because I, I just... Yeah, I do think it, it suits the sort of smaller clubs because who's bringing in a Manchester United or Liverpool mug, really? Yeah,
1: yeah that's it. Because, I mean... It's a crude logic to employ, Charlie, but lower down the league you get, maybe the more more concentrated the fandom might be, the more they feel the need to declare it. So I think yeah. you're more likely to see an Ipswich mug or a
3: Stockport mug or uh, whatever, an older mug, than you yeah. are to see top flight. Shef- Sheffield Wednesday, I can imagine. Nice owl number.
1: And of course, lower down the league you go, the less of that sensation you feel about whether it's suitable for you to be drinking out of it. Like, you know... Assuming you support a top division club, where well that, that yeah. is, it, it, it becomes a quaint thing. But then you do find yourself sitting there, Dave, drinking from it going, I wonder what it would be like to be an Oldham fan. How would I feel right now <laughs> <laughs> for my sins? <laughs> right. Good. That concludes our fascinations. What a, what a wonderful um, first three to have for the new era. Right, welcome back to Football Clichés. You've already heard our listeners' three fascinations of football for this month. Now let's get on to the fun bit, their irritations. This is always um, where people really start to show themselves. The first irritation comes from Rob O'Flanner.
0: Hey Adam, long-time listener, first-time voice noter. So my irritation or beef is with commentators and how often they would, upon seeing a penalty going in one side and the goalie going the other, would say that the goalkeeper's been sent the wrong way. Now, obviously, I'm at home watching it on the TV and I'm not actually there in the stadium, but I'd often be thinking, yeah, I don't really think that that's what happened. I think the takers just picked the side, the goalie's gone the other way, and he basically didn't send him the wrong way. He just t- tossed a coin, flipped a coin and it went in his favour. Obviously, recently, with more and more guys really taking their time as they walk up to the ball, Ivan Tony, especially, not even looking at it, it might be a little bit different. I think maybe Hazard is the first guy I can think of in England who did it, and then Jorginho and a few others. But even then, are they technically sending him the wrong way? Because what they're waiting to do is for him to flinch and pick a side. So really, the goalie may be sending himself the wrong way or herself, and then the guy picks the other side. Now, there might be a third category of Peno whereby he approaches the ball from a funny angle with his foot a, a certain way, maybe, and and then with his hips or his eyes at the very last second, goes the opposite direction, and probably does hoodwink the goalie into going a certain side. So, yeah, th- th- there is probably that category, but <laughs> it's just the unthinking kind of stock. Oh, we sent him the wrong way, and... Um, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I don't know about that. So uh, interested in what you guys think of that. Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: What a stream of consciousness. What a journey that was, Charlie. I mean, uh, uh, at first I was like, nah, this is bollocks. I don't agree with this. Then I saw his logic and went, actually, no, I do agree. And then there was a bit where he realised there actually are some penalties where it does happen.
3: Oh, honestly, I was with him the whole way. Yeah, this is amazing. And like a lot of these lists contributions, they tap into something I've thought of for ages. And I remember when I first started watching football and you talk about, and players would get criticized or praised for their penalties. And I would always think about how much is that luck? You know, if, if the, you know, are they just, is, is he guess, is the keeper guessing? And if he goes the other way, then it looks like a good penalty, whatever. But that's a really good point that now that he's, <laughs> that he sort of stumbled on that actually there are now. A lot of you know penalties which are a real case of being sent the wrong way because there is all this now, like with the run-ups and all of that. So that is a proper phenomenon and and means, yes, he's absolutely right. We shouldn't just toss it out willy-nilly. Well, I mean, it, it gets you thinking, Dave, in the olden days, there they may well have been some
1: straightforward sending of the keepers the wrong way. You, you position your body one way, you put the ball the other, and that transaction is quite clear. The goalkeeper has tried to read you and has read it wrong. Now, if you think of the particularly modern penalties with the kind of slow run-ups, games of chess situations. It might well be that the goalkeeper is making their own mind up and it might well be that the striker of the ball is in control. But there will always be a... a at least one minute microsecond during that
2: process where the goalkeeper is being sent somewhere, so therefore it should just about still apply. So it's okay. But in those ones that you described, like the slow run-ups, the Ivan Tonys or whatever, isn't the whole point that they're waiting, they're just waiting for the goalkeeper to move? The goalkeeper's sending themselves and thus making up the mind of the... The goalkeeper sending the penalty
3: taker the right way. They're only doing that, aren't they? Because of what the striker's done. <laughs> it's so the illusion
1: knows. of autonomy, isn't it? It's so like ah, you yeah. made the decision,
3: but no. But they wouldn't be doing that if I'm stepping up to take the penalty. They they wouldn't ha- they wouldn't feel they have to pick a side, or whatever. They they are being sent there because this guy is walking up to them and creating this thing in their mind where like, I've I've got to go one way because I've got to do something here because if I don't, yeah, he's just going to put it. Way beyond me.
2: You would never hear it described as well, oh, actually that's not a very good penalty. He scored it. It's not a great penalty, but he's lucky the keeper didn't go the right way. He's, all, he's always give the the credit's always given or the benefit of the doubt, I suppose, is always given to the attacker. But there's loads of penalties you think oh, it's not really that's not really a very good penalty, but he's, it's gone in. In summary, then, Charlie, I think this is a very
1: good example of a phrase that. That gets used perhaps too often because there's no alternative. Like it's the only way of describing a goalkeeper diving one way and a, and a penalty going in the other. So maybe we just need to up our game a bit, be a bit more um I mean, the tools mm. are there. There's enough people analysing this stuff. People have made a living out of analysing this stuff. Maybe we need new ways. Yeah, it's just
3: the keeper's gone. The,
1: <laughs> the wrong keeper's way. gone the wrong way, yeah. Yeah. Make it a more neutral expression. Yeah. Um But this is what MHD is all about. People picking up on things we'd never previously considered. Next up, Derek Mahood.
3: Hi, uh, Clichés Gang. Um, my biggest hate of football is something that certain fans do on Twitter when their team has signed a player, especially when it's well liked at the club that um have sold them. And the, the club or their fans will have tweeted, you know, sort of nice goodbye messages. And then the fans of the team that signed the player will reply to those tweets saying something like, Don't worry, we'll take good care of him. Uh Usually with a love heart or some other sort of emoji, and I think on the face of it, that's a quite a nice, you know, positive sentiment. But on the other hand, I think it is perhaps the worst thing in the world um, for reasons that I'm not entirely sure why, but it does make me want to. Sort of claw my face off. So glad the, the pod's back.
1: Thank you, Derek. Um, don't claw your face off. We'll get to the bottom of this, Charlie. What, what what do you think is at play here? This this kind of hand, this ceremonial handing over of a star player from one set of fans to the other. It's I I mean, my, the cynical side of me thinks it's kind of an extension of the entitlement of football fans that they think well they own these things and they own these people and they don't.
3: Well, I kind of think though it comes down to it's almost like there's been a winner and there's been a loser. And it's basically the winner trying to say something nice, but for the loser, they're just really pissed off at the outcome and you kind of coming up to them and being like, it's going to be okay, mate. Just is Even though it can be well-intentioned, it's, it's just annoying for the person who's lost a key player. They don't really want to hear that. They don't really even care. They're just annoyed they don't have him anymore.
1: Dave, have you ever sort of urged a... What outgoing Watford player to be taken care of by the new club? I wouldn't wouldn't put it past you for some
3: reason. Udinese Calcio of switch (laughs) for another of
1: your players. Look after him for six months before he comes back again.
2: (laughs) I did express my happiness that João Pedro had moved to Brighton in the summer when he left Watford, because I was so annoyed with how badly we used him and how obviously brilliant he was, and he was he deserved to go and play for a proper football team and do things properly, really. But an offshoot of this though is is kind of I don't know maybe it's because a club like Watford haven't got anything else to be happy about at the moment. But but when um, when Jao Pedro played against Luton for Brighton earlier in the season, and news filtered through that he'd scored, we started chanting his name. Did you join in? Um I don't, <laughs> I don't think I did, no. No. News but... filtered through, what like a
1: sort of final day of the season relegation yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Holding at the radios there is.
1: <laughs> so someone someone looked at their phone and went, yeah, Pedro scored everyone and there's sort of ripple of Oh god, yeah. that is that is dismal times. <laughs> Jesus, mate.
3: Oh, what the bad have like a sell on or something like is there anything in it for you for him to be good or he's, is he just he, to kind of he's triggered he's,
1: he's triggered his next installment he scored yeah. his 15th goal
3: in, in just in the league the team news filters through and he's reached that 20 appearances mark is he on the bench or is he starting he's starting yeah
1: that's it that's the windfall <laughs> <laughs> that would be good right then the final irritation of football for this month's listeners meza harland dicks Comes from Tom Gilletley. (laughs) And I I want everyone just to note the background noise in this clip because it's almost too good. It's like he's overlaid some stock audio called Gastropub 8.mp3. That's the only reason I actually picked it.
2: Hi Adam, hope you're well and very glad the pod is back. My footballing irritation is actually something I'm experiencing right now. It's when you're at the pub or anywhere showing a football match on the old big screen and you don't actually care about the match at all, which is the case for me with England and Italy right now, but your footballing brain can't help but make you care and make you swivel your head and concentrate on it when you're trying to speak to people. Whenever you hear something going on, like a crowd swell or a commentator speaking loudly, and again, you, you really don't care about what's going on and you would rather be speaking to the people who are to and concentrating on that, but you just there's a, an animal brain instinct that won't let you look away, so yeah, very irritating.
1: I'm happy that this has been framed as an irritation rather than a, than a love of football because otherwise, it would be skirting dangerously close to oh, I just love footy. footy. But uh, first of all, that background noise, by the way, as an audio man yourself, do you
2: appreciate it? Yeah, very nice.
1: Yeah, I was waiting for it to loop round so that we could <laughs> <we can laughs> rumble them. <laughs> I've heard that clink of plates before. Ellis James coming on going, go. <laughs> um, but he he has got it bang on. I mean, there, we have all been in the pub for other reasons than to watch football. And there has been the other Saturday lunchtime kickoff on. It's it's Bristol City versus somebody else.
2: And you, you don't care, but your eyes are drawn to it because you're just football mad, aren't you? And you know what? I even found myself doing this with rugby at the weekend. I was in a pub on Sunday afternoon and England were playing uh, Fiji. Fiji. And uh, I'm not a rugby fan, um, but I I did, yeah, I did find myself just sort of watching it for the final few minutes when it was tight because it was there and it was something was going on.
3: Yeah. There's movement in the background. I mean, this is so spot on from Tom. I've thought this many times and I remember, and I I had to check this, that my memory wasn't playing tricks on me. This thought crystallised for me in September 2012. It was a Friday night. So (laughs) even worse. It wasn't like a Saturday, at least a Saturday, you know, it's kind of gentle. It was a Friday night, you know, I remember it was like work, drinks, whatever, chatting to people and it was Blackburn against Middlesbrough. Which pub were you in? Uh, the Shipwrights Arms oh, there you go. in London Bridge. And it was Blackburn-Middlesbrough in the championship. I had zero interest in this game, like less than nothing. And yet, I remember talking to people and I uh, doing exactly as Tom describes, my eye just wandering, looking over. It was like, why am I doing this? I don't care. There's nothing in this game for me, like... I would, I would never have chosen to watch this, and yet because it's there, I just to know it's like a beam just pulling me in. I couldn't not look at it. Right, let's get more specific about this because you
1: know at, at the moment all we're at is oh, we like football, we happen to notice it in the background, which is fine, it's perfectly understandable mental sensation. But there are there's a sliding scale of kind of interaction that you have both individually and collectively at a kind of social event at the pub that isn't framed around this game that's going on on the TV. So, Dave, for example, a goal goes in and you're in a conversation with two people who aren't facing the TV. You you do the old, oh, oh, was 1-0. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter <laughs> the impact of that news on them. You oh, 1-0. They'll turn around and then you will all, uh, I, you know, I, maybe it just it speaks to how badly the social gathering is going, but you will all then appraise the goal really sincerely as pundits. And so, oh, that, oh, that is... A, oh, no, it's deflected. Ah, it's deflected. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it turns you into really oddly kind of clear-minded pundits at that moment because there's nothing
2: riding on that game. Yeah, and you just sort of have to offer an opinion. E- even if the people you're with aren't football fans, you'll sort of point it out to them. Oh, look at this. Oh, what a finish this is. It's not a bad goal, that, actually, Yeah. 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 <laughs>
3: didn't <laughs>
2: finish that. Middle, Blackburn Rovers won. Middlesbrough 2, by the way, 21st of September, 2012, on a Friday. The memory the is checks out is intact. Is that Yakubu
1: era?
3: Yakubu must have been playing for both teams at that point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He'd been at Blackburn the previous season. I imagine he probably left when they got relegated. He I was, may be wrong, but... He was not
2: involved. Jordan Rhodes playing up front for uh, for Blackburn at the time, along with Nuno Gomez. Surely not. Two goals for Lucas Jukovic for Middlesbrough. Ah, that's so
1: 2012 isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Blackburn Middlesbrough very much the sort of fixture you would see in this scenario. Night game, no question. It was an evening game, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Friday night. I mean, yeah. it was just, uh, it was just so in that sweet spot and so like it's a Friday night. Why are you looking over at Blackburn Middlesbrough?
1: And I think there are there's another scenario, Dave, where, where you'll be in a pub just having a drink and then there is a game going on that you didn't previously care about, but it is acceptable to be watching it, where the conversation sort of dwindles over the last fifteen minutes of the game, and you all basically just turn and, and just stare at this game going on,
2: and uh, yeah, maybe at that point you realise you are all wasting your life. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I feel that's. I feel there's subtle differences between the leagues and stuff. So, I feel like the championship must be the most. You know, people talk about it being like the fourth most attended league in the world, and the, you know all those stats that they trot out because of the the. the, the the total mass of supporters and everything. But in terms of like being watched casually in pubs, it must be the most in the world because it's you, It's unlikely you're ever going to go to the pub to watch a championship game unless you're supporting one of the two teams. But it's good enough football for you to take an interest in it casually. And you right. recognise the odd player here and there as well. Yeah, whereas like a Monday night football match in the Premier League, like you might go and watch Crystal Palace against Arsenal if you've got no skin in the game. And you mm. might sort of watch it and you might stay to the bitter end because you've come to see it. And mm. you might be annoyed that it's actually not a very good game. But Championship, it's like, it can surprise you more. There's nothing riding on it. The stakes are lower. but And thus, you can kind of, yeah, you can get into it. Dip but in. Yeah. That's
1: actually a really, really good point. Charlie, do you think this is something they could do with their marketing? It's like, <laughs> come and casually <laughs> it's watch us down, down low the pressure. Yeah. In. Dip in and out. Dip in yeah. and out.
3: Really doesn't matter. Enjoy <laughs> Blackburn Middlesbrough on a Friday night. It's, you know, breaking conversation. Crane your neck over and have a look at Jordan Rhodes lovely stuff uh,
1: watching for Boy the pub very much um, one of our crown jewels of comeback bull content I think <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll revisit it again one day oh brilliant brilliant selections thanks to everyone for sending in their voice notes if you sent one in and it didn't get used there's a 44% chance that it's on the long list and we might revisit it in November or beyond thanks to everyone for getting in touch thanks for listening cheers to you Charlie thank you cheers to you Dave Walker thank you and we'll be back on Tuesday see you later